0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Today, we have Arun, Brad, and myself back together to talk about the week that was. That is a little bit crazy week. So let's just look at headlines perspective. Earlier this week, HSBC announced some restructuring moving people businesses around that might result in 35,000 job loss. And then on the brighter news, Franklin Templeton is buying Lake Mason for $4.5 billion. Lending Club buys Radius Bank for $185 million. L.I. buys Cardworks for $2.65 billion. And finally, we ended the week with Morgan Stanley buying E-Trade for $13 billion. Now, mind you, all of that just happened in one week alone. So what is going on, guys?
1: i think it's a it's a trend we've been seeing um Jan we had the uh, grab um acquired bento i think um to get into the robot advisory space so buying yourself uh, buying your way into banking has started to be the trend now um Last year was pretty big from m and a perspective from uh not just fintech but financial services as a whole. I think we had about four hundred and forty tra- transactions or something about 130 billion dollars worth of transactions but quite a big quite a few were quite big um, um, quite big transactions um first data was acquired worldpay was acquired last year so they were all quite big transactions north of uh, 20 billion dollars um, if i'm right um so i'm going to i'm sure this is going to be the uh, seen this year as well, with some of the um, uh, pressures with Brexit uh, easing out a little bit. So there's going to be a lot more liquidity in the market. You're going to see a lot of a lot of these news coming around.
2: Yeah, I, I there's there's no way that it's going to slow down. I mean, when you saw Pfizer and FIS jumping into you know tens of billions of dollars in MA last year, um, it's not the mergers of equals. It's going to be the sort of acquisition between David and Goliath. And I think at this point most investors just want to get out. Um, I think you're going to see a two or three year run where the majority of companies that can exit will. There'll be an awful lot of, um, I don't know, spoils to the victor, uh, because I just don't see most of these companies of scale um, not being engaged in in some tremendous amount of M&A. There's too many assets that are sort of laying around and uh, sort of being under leveraged. So the the one that I thought was actually kind of most interesting this week was either Lending Club or the acquisition of E-Trade. And between the two of them, it's like when you, when you look at what Lending Club did, I like Chevlin's take, it was really not so much about getting low-cost deposits, though that is important, right? Because this idea of marketplace lending or what was once peer-to-peer lending um, needs to have wings. You need to have capital to do that. And they've done an amazing job of doing $12, dollars you know, a year in loans, but uh, they want to go into the, the Rails business. You know, they want to be a marketplace for lots of services. And I think the way they're going to do that through Radius is by being a fintech for other fintechs. Uh, so they'll be, you know, part of that rails. So that's, that was really interesting. E-Trade, I think, was more um, not just getting into, you know, another market, um, but looking for ways to, to grow and build the balance sheet. So it's, uh, it's not going to stop.
1: So something that I kind of uh, remember from from an article last year Brad um, uh, the for most of the acquisitions I think the average of these acquisitions that happened last year the average EBITDA multiple was for on the the valuations uh, was about seventeen times so valuations of of the sale was at seventeen times the EBITDA um, of, of the firms that are being acquired um so I'm, I'm not sure what the numbers are for the acquisitions we've seen this year, but um, if you're going by that kind of numbers, it is just, it's gonna be mind blowing uh, because it's just another, almost like a bubble we are creating uh, with so much money being piled into the M&A space.
0: So talk about mind-boggling figures and money. CB Insights, a good friend of ours, also this week released the -the end-of-the-year fintech report. And in there, 66 fintech unicorns valued at $243.6 billion dollars and the money just seems to keep coming and coming and coming. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're looking at the the big incumbents buying each other out or the little guys getting money from VC, it just seems like the pipe is not drying up, um, which, is, which is concerning and, and interesting um, on both hands. Now, one trend does continue though, based on the CV reports, which we actually talked about a little bit last year as well, is if you look at the landscape of startups getting funded, they are the more mature ones that are getting the money. Um, They are getting larger deals and later stage deals, which means that from an innovation perspective, my concern and the question will be, what does that leave to the guys that are earlier that are smaller?
1: So um, my thoughts on that, I think there was a little bit of a strain in that space um, towards Q2, Q3 last year. Um, even perhaps a little bit in Q4. Uh, But things are starting to ease up a little bit now. Uh, I think at least in in the UK. Uh, I I find that people are starting to breathe easy after Brexit. Um, There are a couple of friction points that are happening in the tax space in the UK. But apart from that, uh, uh, it seems to be that uh, the the, the liquidity is coming back. Uh, Confidence is coming back. Um, and, and that is also reflecting in employment numbers and some of the statistics, macroeconomic statistics that are coming out. So I, I don't see capital drying up for innovation or MAs.
2: You call it innovation, right? But it's it, I I'm looking at a report from F, FT Partners, right? And um, Steve and his team, like CB Insights team, you know, really do a great job of sort of summarizing things. But but last year it's like 45 billion dollars in transactions around financing startups almost 1900 total transactions and you look at the MA though in comparison almost a thousand transactions for 234 billion dollars for mergers and acquisitions that number next year is probably going to be 50 to 100 billion dollars more because it's a fire sale this is the time and people realize that and in the next couple of years that's all you're going to see so it's like you know, it doesn't matter It's it, where these startups are putting um, their sort of efforts into. It just seems like every type of startup is eventually going to be acquired. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's madness. So wait, I, I thought that's, that's what
0: startups want,
1: right? Isn't it? <laughs> I was going to so- say. I just hope a couple of my startups actually go through that. Um, yeah, good uh, luck. Man, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, this is this is the time to make money for for all of us in in many ways. Uh, there are there are. Uh, yeah. I I I spoke to a, a firm in New York this morning, and they were like, um, "Are any of your startups looking to get acquired, um, and uh, or or or, or uh, giving away majority stake or something like that?" I'm like. Uh, yeah, we're at very early stage. We're not looking at it yet. So, um, but there is there is money out there. There's a lot of uh, easy cash out there.
0: So looking at money, um, the other interesting thing that came from the CB Insights report was where some of the funding um, might have receded from a continent to the other, um, we're seeing more activity in um, in Africa and South America, which which I think, you know, not even looking at the report, you can tell like there's a lot of things going on, and, and I would add actually Southeast Asia has been, has been quite um interesting as well. So, I think this year is going to be really really interesting as to where the money's going, what people are doing, and who is the next one that is going to get bought up.
2: So, so 10 years ago, it was three quarters of the funding and three quarters of the deals were in the US, and now it's about 46 47 percent. And so when you, you look at that, you know, it's, there's two different things going on here. One, people are realizing there's an awful lot of investments to be made externally uh, from the U.S. and that makes sense. But, you know, sitting in a place like Silicon Valley, there are 900 fintech startups in the Bay Area, 900, and a lot of those haven't gotten funding yet, right? So there's still a lot of companies to be found. You know, I still want to get back at some point to this idea that, you know, startups or normally designed to actually improve uh, something in an ecosystem or to create ideas um, that really were necessary to a market. And now it just seems like we have um, ideas chasing money and founders looking for exits even before they get out of that napkin stage. Um, So, you know, we're going to get into it, but what has a decade of fintech actually done to improve financial services?
0: I wouldn't entirely blame it on the founders, though. I think that also has to do with how the model works, right? How VC um, ecosystem works, because nobody is willing to fund any startup that is going to take time to prove themselves, and no one is willing to fund startups that um, are in industries that is a little bit more challenging than the others, or demographics that are more challenging. So everyone is going to look for the quick, big win.
2: Well, I think we could blame everyone. It's cool. I mean, are you good
1: with that? Well, thanks thanks for that, Brad. Thanks for pulling me in. Uh, I uh, I would love for a couple of exits, yes. Uh, but it really depends on where you are in your VC cycle as a, as a VC. I mean, for me personally, I'm still in early days of my VC career. Uh, five years is not uh, long enough in the VC space. You've got to be there for like 12, 13 years to be called up kind of established venture capital um, um, SME or or person um, in that space. Um, And for me, I'm looking for exits all the time. Uh, Even if it's a 4X, 5X, 10X, I don't have to have a 800X, 900X like Sequoia push for, but um, I would take it. So yeah, um, selfishly, I would definitely go for it. Uh, One one trend that I've been seeing this year especially, is a lot of uh, American um, uh, monies flowing into Europe. There are at least three to four uh, large European VCs that have launched in the last four or five weeks. Sequoia started. I think Sequoia was in, I think, mid-Jan or something like that. They announced their um, European operations. Uh, There have been at least three other VCs. um, uh, A PropTech Venture Capital was launched. I think it was early Feb. Uh, It's, yeah, AO PropTech is is, is the name of the venture capital fund, worth 250 million euros uh, their AUM is. And uh, yeah, so there's quite a lot of activity outside of the U.S. now, um, especially in Europe, I think. Of course, Asia is, uh, hopefully, once China recovers from whatever it's going through now, um, we should see a lot more venture capital activity there as well.
0: So, I wonder if you know what to what extent of that increase in activity in Europe is due to the tension between the u s and China, where people are becoming a little bit more, more cautious in putting in investment in China, especially for American firms, knowing the um, let 's just say political tensions that no one can predict from day in and day out or from tweet to tweet so um, you know that that is definitely a trend to watch and also something that, would, that should be concerning um, because there is a lot of interdependencies between geographies and economies, not something that you can resolve with, with a directive from a tweet, let's just say. Um, so moving on, actually, um, so earlier this week, I posted something about, and I was asking people for their opinion is, what are their two favorite uh, fintech startups in the last two decades or what are the two startups that they think of that are transformative to financial services we've got a ton of um, comments back but there were some common themes around most of the responses which point to the east the one that pop up the most is Ant Financial AliPay, and then the other one that pops up quite a bit was Mpesa Um, which I think in large part points to some of the themes that we've always been talking about is innovation look towards the East, uh, look towards what's going on in Africa and India and what's going on in China. That's where a lot of the interesting ideas and transformative ideas are coming out. Um, I want to ask the two of you, what are your favorites?
1: Okay, I can go first if that's okay. Um, The the two I would probably say are M-Pesa and um, Ant. Uh, I think that was my response to it as well, um, primarily because um, of the scale at which it was done across the African continent and the number of people's lives, it's, it's transformed. I'm sure we can say the same thing about um, Alipay, Alibaba and Ant in, in China as well. The, both, both of them were very noticeable leapfrog moments for me. They were case studies in many ways and what has happened since then is those models uh, have been replicated elsewhere in the world um, and so so for me they were just like um uh pioneers leapfrog moments case studies whatever you call it so this um uh, miles ahead of other other uh big fintech um uh, players in the space if you if you probably had extended the count to 3 i would have probably included paypal um that that's definitely my favorite in the in the West, uh, but but you said two, so I had to go with the two.
0: Brad, what about you?
2: That, that, there were a lot in that list that I thought was really you know really really interesting, and Ant and Tencent and others um, are absolutely changing the marketplace and the way that we think of uh, financial services and, and getting to more millions of people in terms of basic services. I actually put a couple that were around marketplace lending, so I said. Uh, Lending Club and Prosper, of the idea of P2P lending and this idea of people actually lending to another. Um, Per Ron Shevlin's point, uh, P2P lending itself lasted for about a millisecond before they realized it was not really a sustainable model. It's too bad, right? The idea of a a human being lending money to a human being that needs that money um, was really appealing. Um, But just this idea of a marketplace lender developing an entire ecosystem around both personal lending and eventually SME lending with companies like Cabbage, I think was important because it took the, the banks out of that capital flow. So that was one sort of theme that I picked up. And the other was um, this idea of investments. And I had said some of the early robos uh, that were really, truly inspired by things like E-Trade and, and Vanguard and others like Betterment and Wealthfront that added a sort of layer of lower cost, transparent, uh, investing options for the masses and I think that's uh, incredibly important but you know as we go down that path there's like a lot of other areas that we could talk about how these fintechs um, and the ones that have scaled have really changed the way that we think about banking think about delivering those services and so you know we could talk about that for an hour.
0: We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. Yeah, I, Arun, I, I agree with you with PayPal. That's, that's one of my topics too. Um, if you look at that company, it's been around for, oh my goodness, <laughs> as long as anyone can remember 20, 20 years, maybe even more. Um, and, and what it has managed to do, not just change the way people move money around and inspire others to come up with new models to move money around, but also if you think about the founders and the executives that were in PayPal. I mean, there's, there's a thing called PayPal Mafia, right? I, I know, Brad, you guys do FinTech Mafia, but I think PayPal Mafia probably exists before you guys did. Um, and, and it's fascinating with, with what that group of people have done. Um, they have gone on to, to start new companies, right, such as LinkedIn, um, Affirmation and, and Affirm, and, and all those other ones. They have also taken the money that they have, the capital that they have, to support other tech startups, and so if you look at the the life quote unquote of of the phenomenon or the company called PayPal, it extends way more than how it has changed the industry and how it continues to change the industry. Um, so I, I think that one was was really interesting. Um, <clears throat> another one that I like, maybe is not as transformative, but I think you know personally I do like them a lot. Is Acorns. Um, because it just makes it, it uses something that is so simple, but yet it can help people save a um, dollar here and a dollar there. Now, it might not seem a lot, but when you're living in an era where 40% of Americans can't even come up with the money to help address a $400 emergency, that dollar here, there actually adds up. Um, so something that simple, that set it and forget it, using, using behavioral economics, I think that was brilliant. Um, and I would love to see more startups that come up with new ways to help people save rather than come up with new ways to lend people money. That's just my personal take.
2: As address the actual systemic problems with wealth inequality, than having to do things like create lending startups or ways to you know, save money. We shouldn't have to worry about $40 or $400. That's the problem. We don't ever address the things underlying.
1: Well I was going to say I have another favorite that I wanted to talk about uh but you you kind of um closed the point in, in in a much more emphatic way so I'll I'll leave it leave it at that maybe we should move on to the next topic
0: Wow I don't think I've ever seen Arun shy away from a discussion
1: No no it was it was just that um for me for me uh There are a bunch of startups, it can't be just two. Uh, So I love uh, Transferwise has changed my life personally, um, uh, from a remittance perspective. I love the Starling experience. So they're all my favorite FinTechs. Um, But if you just said two, then yeah.
2: I jump into that, like TransferWise and Remitly and others have changed the dynamic of what the costs are associated with moving money between currencies. Now, now, think about, you know, what we just were talking about with, you know, lending money versus savings money versus investing money. All of the things that we're seeing in fintech over the last 10 to 15 years are things that banks themselves should have done. Had the balance sheet, the short-term profitability not been the key driver of quote-unquote innovation inside banks, they would have realized the opportunities to be able to clean up markets everywhere around the world and not allow fintech to come to be. The capital coming from the outside should have never taken place because the moat in financial services is so deep and real. And unfortunately, bank executives can't see past their nose. That's the problem in financial services today. So startups are coming in and saying, oh, look, there's a margin here that I could exploit. There's something here that they're not doing for customers that I could actually fulfill. So this is what you know, has always eaten me inside about startups and about capital investment into this space is that these, in many, many cases, are very obvious value adds that banks themselves could have done.
1: Uh, Brad, I would like to disagree there, primarily because... Um, the challenge that most of these big players have is the pace at which they can move. And even the simplest of innovation is hard to achieve with with the kind of pipeline of activities that's happening within their organization. For instance, there is a startup that we've invested in, uh, which does a very, very simple use case. I can't say that now because then it will kind of open up a um, um, uh, different kind of forms, but I'll, I'll, I can kind of describe it without naming the firm. So the, the startup is actually targeting a very simple use case um, within the invoice space. Now, um, when we go to the, for the likes of QuickBooks and the likes of Sage and, and some of the bigger players um, in, uh, that, that deal with invoices, and we basically go and tell them, hey, we are doing this. Um, how can we work with you? Um, first obvious question is can you actually create this setup or this technology within your own organization and the answer we typically get is no because our IT backlog goes to five years down the line I don't have bandwidth to accommodate this change in my uh, technology roadmap so yeah if if anything we would be happy to acquire you but we, we're not going to kind of uh, do what you're trying to do so that is the phase at which even st- firms like Sage and Big quick books are moving, so I I would be surprised if Barclays or or, or, or uh, uh, J P Morgan's of the world can actually turn around and say, hey, I, I see there is a gap there. I'm going to go fix it. My point
2: was that you know when TransferWise came to be and they were starting, you know, the idea of moving money between um, different currencies and different geographies, it was about people, and it was literally about people on the ground exchanging currency, and then they changed it to more of a marketplace model. Right. So things start simple and they, they try to figure out a way to get around the costs around it. And there there were banks that were you know, trying to figure out how TransferWise was doing this. And I don't disagree that banks move incredibly slow. Lord knows I've been inside enough of them. Um, the, the challenge to me, though, is, is that banking itself should be simple. Right. We have um, startups that are, are driving their their model around providing a better savings rate or providing ways for you to save, you know, a couple pennies here and there. Really? Really? I mean, these are things that shouldn't exist. That's my point, is that a lot of these things are so basic. And yeah, I agree with you that banks can't do, you know, a word I can't say, well, probably shouldn't say on the air. But the point of this is that so many of these ideas are implementable because it's simply things that are cutting into a profit margin. That's my problem with it.
0: So this is probably not a good time to talk about HSBC scaling back in the US and, you know, getting rid of 35,000 people. Yeah. Okay. All right. More on that. Um, if, if any of, of our wonderful listeners are curious about Brett's tick on HSBC, you can just follow him on Twitter because he always offers the most colorful commentary on what is going on in banking. Now, speaking of banking, FinTech, and FinServe, and other interesting, it seems like it's just a week of of reports, a week of awesomeness, and a week of mergers and acquisitions and and laying off people and exits and all, and what have you. Um, Rounding up this week was yesterday, our friends at Onalytica published the top 100 fintech influences in the world. Now, a good friend of ours um, corrected me and say, it should be the top 100 fintech influences in the universe. Regardless, congratulations, Arun and and Mr. Lima for making the list,
1: as always. Thank you so much. I don't think it would have happened without uh, the two of you. So uh, grateful for that. Um, Learned a lot in the last couple of years of working with you all, um, with yourself, Brad and Effie especially. Um, And and I I have repeatedly said this on social media, which is I've always felt being an influencer was about blogging Twitter. Um, So forgive me for that. I have to correct myself because I know the kind of hard work you guys put into getting there and staying there. It's not a joke. It's day in and day out turning, turning up, uh, uh every morning and I uh, finding out what is there to talk about, understand kind of that's proper thought leadership, the kind of insights you bring to the table, the, the kind of conversations that you have It's just amazing to be part of this as a kind of this ecosystem.
2: Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, Miss Manos bringing it up, rank, ranking in number three on the list. Um, I think, you know, the, the more opinion you have, the lower you tend to be on the list, but, um. You know, I think when you wake up and you look at someone's feed and you get informed in a way that would take you hours, um, in a few minutes, I think I learned from from Theo's feed and from Spiro's feed uh, what I need to take from that morning and to think about. And so, um, you know, as, as modest as some of us uh, here are, I think the more opinion we have out there through both this podcast and through the articles that we write, um, I think the better. And so... Here's to more of that thought leadership. Um, I think I tweeted out something to the effect that, you know, the majority of the people on this list are either existing practitioners or ongoing, um, very engaged in the space. And I think that's what's most important because I think influence comes from doing. And uh, I think that we have all accomplished an awful lot of things in our careers. So uh, kudos to the folks on the list and uh, you know, as much as we love the word influencer, I think it's really about shifting things toward the arc of where it needs to go.
0: Yes, and I do have to thank social media because without that, I wouldn't have met the two of you. Um, Arun and I met over LinkedIn and then we met in real time for coffee. Brett and I met, I can't remember, either Twitter or LinkedIn because I mean, after all, he has been on social media for a long, long, long time. And, um, and then we met in real life at Finnovate uh, Spring, which, you know, if, if I take a look back at a lot of the friendships that I have developed the last few years, most of them actually got started on social media, just like um, Danielle and another good friend and, and the previous guest on our podcast, her and I met on Twitter. And then we met for lunch in New York City. So, you know, as much as we like to complain about the trolls on social media, complain about the silliness um, that people say and do on social media, I think there's there's quite a bit of good that comes from it. Um, A lot of like-minded people, a lot of really smart people with a lot of really interesting things to say, Um, I would conclude by saying that the list is wonderful, is great, but don't forget the others that are not on the list, because just because you're not on it doesn't mean that you're not influential. There are still a lot of really, really brilliant people um, that are very busy doing what they do, building companies, taking care of kids and managing work and life balance and all of those. And they might not be as visible, but do reach out to them and do follow them. And uh, because we need to uplift everyone's voices in order to make the ecosystem better and stronger and more interesting so that the next morning you wake up, there's more news that you can read from other than just, you know, reading the ones from me and Brad in the room. So to that, thank you so much for joining us for a new episode of One Vision. And we'll talk to you next time.